Getting out of a toxic relationship is important, but what happens next? How do we climb the mountain of healing to find peace in ourselves and healthy relationships in the future? Hello and welcome to the Visible Man Podcast. I'm Jack Rollins, the producer for the show. In today's episode, Jeffrey Hoffman sits down with licensed mental health counselor Jamie Mailer to discuss not only how to heal from toxic relationships, but how to break the cycle to assure that we don't find ourselves stuck in similar ones again. Just a quick reminder, this talk is for educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as medical or professional advice. If you need medical or professional advice, please seek out the appropriate person in your area. Enjoy. One thing that I was, I'm a, I'm a specifics person. I like definitions and all that kind of stuff. And when I hear people talk about toxicity and toxic relationships is there one definition is there one thing that therapists agree on as as a toxic thing or is it kind of a malleable situation dependent thing um i mean the actual way toxicity presents is very kind of in a subjective way like it kind of depends on the situation but there are some general themes that can kind of be labeled with definitions like for the most part, anything that has a lot of manipulation typically falls into the toxic range. Um, mm. I don't even want to say typically. I would say like that's almost an absolute. Um, I guess I could throw it in the nuance where sometimes maybe someone's trying to manipulate for their own, you know, I got to keep myself alive or something, you know. Um, everyone loves those huge black or white things. I'm like, what if I had to manipulate someone to get, I'm like, guys, <laughs> wait a second. Okay. So basically for the most part, if you're engaging in any kind of like known manipulation and you know no one wants to hear this even the low-key i'm not really aware i'm manipulating that absolutely can fall into that, that toxic trait stuff um and then we also have the like spectrum of gaslighting which a lot of people struggle with but the spectrum of gaslighting is you know i can i can low-key gaslight you and I could, you know, people do this all the time, like, oh, no, like, you're fine, right? If I, if I, if you were, like, laughing and I, and I, I poked fun at you, Jeff, on the podcast, you'd be mm. like, you know, I'd be like, oh, no, you're fine. Like, you can take it, right? That's a low-key gaslighting statement because I'm basically telling you how you feel when in reality, I have no idea if that offended you and it may very mm. well have offended you, right? And so me saying, you're, you're good, you're tough enough, right? Um, that that isn't my place to say right so that's why I tell people like gaslighting is a spectrum like if I'm basically inserting my own opinion on how you're feeling about what just occurred that's a variation of gaslighting right and then we have hmm. very extreme gaslighting extreme gaslighting is the like you know very disordered you know I'm gonna basically pretend things didn't happen I never yelled at you yes you did I never hit you yes you did. you know that's the very extreme version of gaslighting. So we have manipulation, gaslighting, coercion, where someone's are someone's literally being manipulated to forcefully act in some way that they don't want to. Um, I mean, we have a couple of other things like triangulation is pretty toxic, um, where I can speak to that a little bit. But um, yeah, what's triangulation? It's basically like. It, it's really easily shown through examples, but a triangulation is where I'm manipulating kind of an other 
in the dynamic between me and you. So if I'm, if I'm best friends with you, right. And then we have like a second friend named like, you know, John or something. I work through John to manipulate you. Right. And so it's usually through examples because this is why it's hard for people to kind of understand. But if we're all buddies, it's like a triad. We all hang out and I need you to like, I don't know, come over and help me move or something. But I'm not mature enough to blatantly ask you that because I'm intimidated or something. I go to John and I say, John, you know, like I really, you know, I know that you're always there for me, but like, I don't know about Jeff and like, I don't know, maybe you can get him to talk. Maybe you can talk to him about like how I really need my friends to be more there for me and like whatever. So I'm going like this. It's just manipulative. Like it's basically manipulation. It's just a label of like the type of manipulation you're doing. So I'm asking John to kind of like, I'm basically utilizing him. I'm using him in a way to get to you, right? And so maybe he guilt trips you instead of me. So I look like I'm a good person. And John is like, John is like, I mean, she told me that though. Like, are you really kind of a, you know, a crappy friend or something? And, you know, and now like, you're not sure if you're mad at me or you're mad at John because John kind of guilt tripped you, but I didn't, but he only did that because of me. So it's very, I don't know if that was like easy to follow, but it's a type of manipulation that can be very insidious. And it's actually really hard to spot triangulation because you kind of have the wide lens and see the whole picture and you don't really know if it's always occurring. I was making a face because that felt uncomfortable to hear you describe it. But I think I'm sure that it's been done to me and I've probably even done it to people. Right. uh, And And you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying is like, you don't know... Uh, on the other end, like if you were the receiver, right, you're not going to know to ask me <laughs> or ma- ask John, like, what happened in the background of this, <laughs> right? Um, I actually did a whole video on triangulation. And when it gets like really, really malignant, like someone's doing it very intentionally, there's an entire plan in place, right? People can like unintentionally do it, but like with very malignant triangulation, someone's basically setting up a scenario to play out and you're trying to be as removed as possible. So it's me like, it's kind of like me poking the bear. Like if I poke to, if I want you and John to fight, okay. John is the theoretical imaginary person. Okay. If I want you and John to fight because I want to be the rescuer, right. If I want to be the one that you guys are going to run to because I'm the third, I poke the bear in, in very like low key ways. Right. So I will say something like, you know, I was thinking about it, John and Jeff's like, not really that present in our friendship. Do you think that? And John might be like, I don't know, like maybe whatever. I don't really think about it. Right. And I'd say something like, well, how much does he text you? You know, I don't know, maybe like once a week or maybe whatever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't text me that much either. Like that's real, you know, and I'm poking the bear. And so if John's like, you know what? You're right. I should talk to him about that. (laughs) Right. And then all of a sudden John is like texting Jeff saying, you know what? I thought about it. And like, you are kind of a bad communicator. Right. Or something like, you know, I know this is a whole theoretical conversation, but if that happened now, you two look like you're upset at each other. And then you might come to me, Jeff, and you might be like, do you think I'm a bad communicator? And I say, no, I'm like, no, you're a great communicator. Right. That's like the whole circle of like how messed up the triangulation can be, because I can basically be like, no, you're a great communicator. I don't know what John's talking about. 
Do you see how it's perfect? Because now John's like, what the hell? You know? Um, So it's really that, that one's a pretty uh, insidious one. It's a very like low, like it's a hard thing to catch and it's a hard radar to like actually have for. Oh my God. That sounds tiring. Just like trying to understand it. How does that It's hard to explain. It's actually really (laughs) easy when you see a, like an example. So when I do videos on my social media, it's way easier when I do role playing. That's why half of the time role playing is so much more effective than (laughs) than, like, it took me five minutes to describe it versus like, yeah, I'm sure I could picture it if there was a third person. How, How does that, how do you pick up on that stuff? Like, how do you find if say in this friendship or a relationship, you're like, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? How how do you even uncover that? Right. Sometimes you can maybe do like origin work. Like, I mean, honestly, if it really is something that doesn't sound like something John would say, right? If you know John really well and you're like, I mean, I've never heard John complain about this, right? (laughs) Maybe saying something like, John, is this something that like you're really upset about? Or like, did this come from a conversation somewhere? Like, what are you concerned about? Right. And that actually is a way to kind of track back. Oh, we got a little. (laughs) And a way to track back, like. Um, some of the origin of where the precipitant came from, right? So if John's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of mad, but like, I mean, I was talking to Jamie and like, we started talking and like, yeah, I mean, it kind of started bothering me after I talked to her. Okay. Well, like, you know what I mean? It's like, whether or not you can sit there and tell John how he's feeling, like, which, you know, I wouldn't suggest, at least, you know, that this started from Jamie and like, it was kind of precipitated by Jamie. Right. And so you kind of keep that in the back of your mind when stuff like that comes up. It's not always like the perfect opportunity. Sometimes you see it after a series of problems like this. Right. Mm -hmm. But triangulation is a tough one. That's actually to me, like a level up. If you can like find triangulation in some of the, you can actually see it probably easier in families. Let's say that it's probably easier to see in families than it is to see in friendships because friendships, like everyone's kind of living their own lives and we're not in Mm. intertwined and constantly seeing each other. So it can probably go under the radar a lot um, more or lengthier. Like it can kind of fly under the radar longer in a friendship, but like in families, you actually probably see this a lot in families. That's way more easy to see because Many times the families are consistently communicating each other. So like if there's triangulation in a sibling group, it's like, who told you that? Right. And like, and like the siblings, like, wait, why are you mad at me? Like, you know, who told you that? Like, you know what I mean? And like, that's where some of these fights come out of. And like, sometimes we actually get lost in translation and people forget who actually poked the bear. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, now I'm just fighting with you, Jeff, or now John and Jeff are fighting. And like, nobody remembered why this kind of blew up, right? Because we all get stuck in the nitty gritty of the surface level problem, so. Oh my God. And why why do people do this? I mean, sometimes (laughs) you got to remember, like, a relationship is like a currency, right? For some people. So like, you know, when people get like, a sense of power. Like if I can be the rescuer for you, Jeff, and I'm best friends with you and I'm best friends with John, but I literally get so much out of you coming to me and asking for help. Like I really am upset at John. Can you help me? Right. I'm getting something that is intangible. I'm getting like a currency that I can't really find in other places. Right. It's actually this like weird emotional kick that happens kind of the savior syndrome or have you ever heard of like savior syndrome? Like it's kind of like you're, you're wanting to save the situation. So you provoke a problem to save, you know, and that's actually really scary, but it can happen. I've never thought about that. So relationships as a currency where like there's, it's not just good or bad. There's like, there's like, 
investment and return and oh, absolutely. Energy, oh, when you energy talk about that you act- put into this, that's Oh, for sure. This is where you get like the really, dis- not always disordered, but very, very deep toxic traits work very much like a currency where someone looks at it like if I put in the time and this is where it starts leaning into like the narcissistic stuff. If someone puts in the time to set up the trust, the invest, the emotional investment, right? The love bombing. I'm sure you've heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Um, we can maybe talk to that if people have questions on that. But like, if I put the investment forward in the beginning, I can reap the reward, the emotional rewards for a long time until I have to reinvest, right? So when it gets thin and everyone starts getting upset and I kind of ride the line a little bit too hard, then I have to love bomb again. Then I have to reestablish my foundation and I have to kind of ride that again. So it's like, it really can be very, very upsetting when you think about it because people, I think the hardest times that people are dealing with, with toxic recovery is they realize if someone isn't actually, how do we say this? Like, especially in partnerships, like in past relationships, when you're actually unlearning or unraveling after, like not raveling, let's say un, yeah, like unlearning the traits that came from the past relationship, right? I think the hardest wound to face is that many times they do see the orchestration. They see that like someone put in so much time Mm. to like have me trust them and then flip the switch in two months in and absolutely started treating me poorly and absolutely like massively shift the game on me. And it's actually, it's, it's beyond upsetting. It's actually unnerving. It's super unnerving for people to, to realize that because it feels like you're looking in hindsight and you're realizing how much that um, was, it was like you got conned. It's like a long game, if that makes sense. Like, whoa, Mm -hmm. like that was a really big long game. And I didn't realize how long I was in that game for, you know? Yeah. Something that I've thought about with myself is because I've done the same thing. I've gone back and looked at past relationships and thought, oh, wait, I'm seeing that happen again. Oh, that person was like that too. And there's one common element in those. It's me. And so when you say there's like a game being played, it took me not until recently that I started to look at myself and think, oh no, I'm playing the game too. (laughs) I have to be playing the game. This is the hardest pill to swallow. You're just jumping right into it, Jeff, aren't you? Oh yeah. I mean, how, how do I, how, how do I, once I've seen those patterns, how do I see the things that I do to contribute to the game? Well, I mean, remember, and this is where I, I say, like, we're going to recognize things within ourselves as well as others, because the way I explain it, and this is why I, I say the word relational, is because in order to have a relationship, there has to be two energy systems, okay? There has to be you and another system at play that are interacting with each other, okay? That is what's comprising the dynamic that we are talking about, okay? So when I say toxic recovery, it's not only toxic recovery from the person that's the precipitant, but it's also acknowledging how that stayed present and and maintained. How did that energy system get maintained, right? Because if you think about it, if I consistently interact with, I'm, I'm trying to think of a really good analogy here because it really works when you kind of go more into analogies or examples because people are like, I need an example to kind of relate to it. But like, you got to think about it like if, okay, 
let's let's look at it like a preacher on a street, okay? On on a street, okay? I'm going to use an example of like someone who's like trying to like get an idea across to you, okay? So I'm a preacher on a street and I'm like I'm just approaching you and I'm like, "Hey Jeff, have you heard about this new like, you know, newfound spirituality that's like all about, I don't know. I'm just going to make up something." <laughs> like all about the sun, the sun energy mm. or something. And you're like, mm. No, like, I haven't, right? And maybe you're like semi absorbing, like, some of what I'm saying. You're kind of like, mm, yeah, I'll listen to you, right? Okay. If I'm sitting there and literally presenting myself, like, I'm super assertive, I'm super like energetic, right? You really might like my energy, but you're not like really on board with what I'm saying. Like, oh, religion, like, that's just like sun worshiping or something, right? Um, you might be like, I'm an open mind. I'm an open book. Sure. I'll listen to anybody's thoughts, right? And so maybe you're like, and I look at you and I'm like, Jeff, it sounds like you're really into this. Would you meet me for coffee later, right? And you're like, sure. I'm open to anything, right? Okay. You got to remember that that if I'm spinning something to you, if you see something that my main motivator, okay, I didn't go, I didn't, I didn't go on that street corner to make friends. I went out there to evangelize, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I didn't go out there to also drink coffee. I went out there for a very particular reason, right? And so if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't really believe that. And I don't really like, I'm not really driving with it, but like, he seems nice enough. And like, what's the harm of coffee, right? I go, well, the harm of coffee is that A, he's not looking for friends or I, I am not looking for friends and I am not looking for coffee. I am looking for evangelization. <laughs> and so I tell people when you are entering into these relationships and like, let's say it's, um, you know, you meet someone on Tinder or you meet someone at like a coffee shop and you realize that there's something about what they're saying is super dissonant, but you're like, I don't know, he has a funny laugh or I don't know, um, she's kind of like quirky, but like she really says something that was like super, super against like what I believe or like super, super not aligning with what I want. Okay. That's what you're doing. You're going to coffee with this like person who's preaching a specific thing and you're like saying, it's fine. Like, and I go, no, 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 it's not fine because the whole package is saying that like they're basically presenting their actual intention. And this is why people don't want to hear this. That person was actually clear that they actually were there for a very particular reason. And it was, it was literally you making excuses saying, oh, well, they're just nice. Or, oh, well, they just like, they, there's no harm in coffee, right? Um, genuinely, what's better to do in those situations is to just have an authentic experience and like literally sit there and say, hey, I might need more friends right now because if I'm willing to sit there and talk about someone who's worshiping the sun god and I literally don't give a crap, I actually might just need authentic connection. So I don't necessarily need authentic connection with this person who's offering to sit with coffee, mm. but I might need to invest in more time developing my relationships with my friends. That's big and powerful, right? But what we don't do is we don't realize, oh, the only reason I said I wanted coffee was because I was kind of lonely and not because you wanted to like hook up with them or because like, no, but like literally you're like, I'm kind of lonely and I don't really hang out with people. And when someone asks me for coffee, sure, I'll go. But then I look at you and I say, well, they're told you their intentions. They told you why they were asking you for coffee. So when you sit down for coffee and they say, okay, well, you know, now we're finishing up our coffee and I'm like, okay, well, do you really want to know what I want? Like, do you really want? And I start spinning the sun God stuff, right? You might be like, 
really? Really? You're going to do that? You're going to do that? Of course they're going to do that. Of course they're going to start like spinning their narrative because that was their original intention. So when you think about like people who are like starting to date and let's say, okay, this is actually very much about authenticity. Toxic recovery and authenticity go hand in hand. Because if you think about it, if I start dating someone and I'm on the first date and I go, listen, you need to be really into football if you're dating me. Okay. And you, Jeff, say, okay. (laughs) Right. But you literally hate it. You literally sit there and you're like, I hate football. I would never go to a football game. I'm never going to watch a football game. I don't give a crap. Right. Okay. But you say, sure, that's fine. Right. The next time I see you, I literally am like, okay, um, you can come over and we're going to watch the game. Right. All of a sudden you're like, sure. I want to come over and I want to hang out with that person but I don't want to watch the game. So now you're resenting me. You're angry at me, right? For like showing you what I actually, what my intentions actually were like, and you're just angry at me. So this is where that authenticity comes in because it's, it's football's innocent, right? Football's very innocent. But if someone's like, actually showing up with like a toxic trait, like something like, Hey, I don't let you, if you, you know, a couple weeks in or something, I'm like, no, you can't text your friends. Like you can't hang out with your mom. Like you can't right? That's something like I'm literally telling on myself. I am telling you that I am manipulative and I am, I am actually very possessive. If I'm looking at you and I'm like, no, you can't go to your mom's. Like we hang out with my family. I'm literally telling you that I'm possessive. So when you come at me and you're angry that I'm possessive, right? It's like you're angry that I actually told on myself and then you're angry that you actually stayed and was like part of that like possessiveness. And I go, well, this is where it's a both and situation that I came at you very toxic and you came at me very permissive, right? So I say, no, you can't hang out with your mom, right? And you say, well, why? You know, and I'm like, well, you know, my family takes precedent because like I always had Sunday dinners and you done. So like, I don't know why you're going to choose your family over mine because um, if I'm the person you're right, I can spin anything, right? If I'm the person you're dating, like um, you should take, pri- I should take priority right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can come up with any stupid, stupid reason and at all. Right. But the thing is, is it's your responsibility to see if that's BS. It is. Literally, if you are like, that's messed up, <laughs> and you literally know it's messed up, and then you continually be like, okay, fine, we'll just go to your parents today, right? I told you I'm possessive. I told you that, like, I literally, I, I blatantly said that without saying it, okay? And then you were like, okay, whatever. I'm like, no, that's where this whole thing kind of crumbles because then you get angry that you're in a possessed relationship and like a possessive relationship or like a jealous relationship. And I go, how many times did that person show up with their jealousy to you, right? If I'm literally constantly jealous, the second I start dating you, I'm like, who's who's texting you? Who is that? What's going on? Who's like, let me see, let me see your passwords. I want to see who's texting you. I want to blah, 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 right? Okay, I literally told you. I literally told you that I'm possessive and I'm jealous and I absolutely have insecurities that haven't been faced, right? Okay, I already said that to you. But this is where that whole other narrative comes in when you're looking at the situation and you're like, 
some people who've been in very wounded relationships, who've been neglected, think that jealousy is healthy. I'm just going to tell you, whoever's listening, I don't know where everybody is, whoever is listening, jealousy is not a, like, attribute that you want in your relationship, okay? Like, jealousy is not one of those things that's cute. It's not something that's actually, like, meaningful. It doesn't really give anything to the relationship. It is one of those things that really speaks to wounds either in one partner or in both partners. Okay. So if I look at jealousy and I have a new boyfriend or something and my boyfriend's super jealous and I think that's nice, it speaks to my wound. Right. Because that means at some point I wasn't actually cared about. And so anyone who's showing that they like really care about me, that they want them for me to be like only theirs, that speaks to my wound because I apparently. Um, most likely I'm coming from like a neglected relationship that I never felt that way. Right. And so on the other spectrum is extreme jealousy. Like I need you. I want you. You're mine. Right. And that to me feels like love, but it's not. It's the other spectrum of the toxicity. So one spectrum is neglect. The other one is extreme possessiveness. And the actual health is the moderation in the middle. Right. But when we're in these wound states, that's what we think is like normal. So yes, I went on a huge tangent on that. So <laughs> that's that's so much important stuff, though, because I mean, I can relate to so much of what just little nuggets of those of right. those things and like the wounds and things that we take with us. So how how how, how do we recover from that? Right. How, how do we move I mean, away from that? Half of the time, it's noticing. I tell people most of this work in the beginning. If you ever take a course with me, or if you ever do any of my work with me, I am going to start right away on do you actually think, let's start with jealousy. I would literally ask you, do you think that's, what do you think jealousy is? (laughs) And if they're like, it's cute. (laughs) I literally get so much information and I have to start with, we need to call trauma, trauma. We need to call toxicity, toxicity. We need to call abuse, abuse, right? When abuse is labeled as cute or when toxicity is labeled as love, How do you notice that? Because all you're seeing is a mislabeling of what something is, right? And so one of the primary first steps is to sit there and say, wait a second, notice how that's playing out in your relationship. There is that jealousy is leading to possessiveness. That jealousy is leading to your lack of autonomy. That jealousy is leading to your lack of privacy. They have all your passwords like you don't have your own voice anymore. Like you're losing autonomy at every stage. And so all of a sudden, that's why we have to start looking at the implications of some of these behaviors, right? So for example, if someone tells me they never fight in their relationship, I always look at that as a red flag. Mm-hmm. And I know someone's, people are probably listening and being like, what do you mean? What do you mean? We got, we're supposed to fight all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you ever get to know me, I am absolutely one of those people that are like, nothing is black and white. Okay. So when someone tells me they don't fight, that is a problem because it's the extreme alternative to constantly fighting, right? So someone who's always fighting, that's not a good thing either. But someone who never fights, that tells me something, right? It tells me that either they've been punished every time they tried to bring up their voice, right? 
like this happens a lot in parent-child relationships, right? You might try to have a difficult conversation with your mom or dad every time. Don't talk to me about that. No, I don't want to talk about that. No, that was in the past. No, blah, 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 right? Squash, 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 squash down, right? And so now I ask you about your relationship with your parents and like, we're fine. We never really talk about it. Like we don't, we don't conflict, right? And I go, well, that's a problem, right? Because it means that either somebody's been honestly suppressed Um, it can be suppression, but it also can be another trait of like your own wounds that you actually don't think it's valuable enough to bring up your own concerns, right? So for example, your own wounds could be like, nobody wants to hear how that hurt me. That could be an old, that could be a wound in your mind, right? So when somebody actually does hurt you, you really don't bring it up because you think you're like literally that worthless. You're like, nobody wants to hear my problems and nobody wants to talk to me. Right. And I go, well, okay, that, that, that also is an indicator of why no conflict would be a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's never all or nothing and it's never black or white. Okay. So when someone hears me say that no conflict is actually an issue, they immediately think the alternative, which is, okay, then you're telling me that we should be always fighting. And I go, well, if you're learning and you're, you guys sound like you're probably catching on to the way I vibe. It's like, no, it's actually learning how to articulate your own voice, actually standing up for your own pain and, and speaking that out loud, whether or not the partner is able to hear it, it's actually vital for you to start speaking your truth. So if you are in that type of relationship where you're like, no, we never really talk about anything deep. We don't really talk about anything like authentic. Like we don't really, we basically just check in with each other and we kind of have this like vague relationship. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Are there people that stay in those types of marriages or partnerships or whatever it is for many years? And maybe they even like grow old together and maybe that works for them. Right. It's also not a complete deep connection because at some point you're being suppressed down your own voice. If something really bothers you. Okay. Like me and you, Jeff, if I'm married to you and you hurt me, And I literally have been basically told every time that like at the dinner table, like I'm not allowed, like, I'm just like, I can't, I can't talk about anything difficult, right? Like, you know, you asked me how my day was. And every time I showed up authentically to that question, like I'm really struggling. You can be like, really? I don't need that negativity right now, Jamie. Mm. Really, Jamie? I don't, I don't have room for that. Okay. So what you told me is that anytime I showed up authentically, I am going to be met with a very tough, like jab in the, like a gut punch that says, that's not important for me to hold. Or it's honestly, I'm not, I'm not capable of processing that with you. So what you really told me, yeah, how do you go from that place? I'm picturing like in that example of sitting at the dinner table, how do you go from that place to confidently asserting yourself so that your voice is heard. So honestly, and this is where it really, okay. (laughs) Toxic recovery is not pretty guys. It is messy. Okay. So I am telling you that when this stuff happens, especially in like the middle of like partnerships or marriages or whatever it is, when you start showing up 
in a very real way. And I literally, let's say I start doing self-work or I start really, really focusing on what I need. And I sit there and for, let's say 10 years, we've been married and I literally have never fully shown up because that's what happened in the beginning of our marriage. If I start saying, you know, like you do the whole play, you know, the classic, how are you? But I don't want to know who you, how you are. Right. We always make that joke. Um, Mm -hmm. No, if you ask me how I am, you got to be ready for an authentic answer. If you know me in personal life, I do not deal with that BS. So when someone literally asks me how I am, if it's someone I actually trust, I'm probably going to actually tell you how I am. I'm not going to say, okay. You know, I'm probably going to say, actually, this is not a great time right now. (laughs) You know, like I'm actually going to show up to that question. But if you're thinking about the person that's trying to practice this skill, okay, well, first of all, she has to notice in this scenario or he, if it's vice versa, if it's the wife that does it or whatever. First of all, you have to ask yourself, have I normalized my own repression or suppression? Because depending on how long it is, it's going <laughs> to it's gonna be very aged. Okay. So have I normalized that I don't think my voice is valid? If you've normalized that, what we're trying to do, and this is why I said that's the first step, is to notice when you push down your authentic voice. Okay. So if someone says, tell me about your day, and you realize I do want to tell them, I just don't think they're capable of hearing me or mm-hmm. I don't know if it's useful enough, right? That is that moment of noticing. You're noticing that you're not in a place right now that you feel like you can fully answer that question, okay? So that's the noticing. And what happens with noticing is you start recognizing yourself doing it in different areas of your life. So it's not usually just in your partnership. You're going to see it happening in friendships. You're going to see it happening in family dynamics. You're going to see your voice being slightly like dampened or your own experience with your emotions being kind of subdued in some way. And the more you notice that, That is where the momentum starts getting picked up because you actually want to advocate for your emotions at that point, right? Because before it's normal. So there's nothing to handle, right? When it's normal, you actually don't have any work to do because this is just your life. Your life is just like this. That's just how your marriage is. That's just how your partnership is. Like, that's just how it is, right? But if all of a sudden you start holding space for, wait, that's not how I would like it to be. That's not how I want to show up. That's not who I am, right? All of a sudden that, like that literally like awakening, that like, that woke moment of like, hey, I really am wanting to actually speak my truth here, okay? That means it's that moment of you're now, you're now convicted. You're saying like, I actually do need to work on this skill set. And so now we have, we have noticing. And then the next step would actually be, this is where the, you know, I don't know if we can Mm -hmm. swear on this, but this is where, say whatever you want. (laughs) This is where the shit, it's the fam, because what ends up happening is I do show up to the dinner table and I say, you know what? I, this, this this day was absolutely not great. And I'm, I'm really struggling, Jeff. Like, this is not, this is, this is not great. Like, I'm not doing well. Right. And maybe it starts mimicking early marriage where Jeff says something like, you know what? I can't really hear that right now. Or I, I don't have time to like, think about that right now. Right. 
this is where you're holding your own emotion as valid. Okay. So instead of being like, okay, you're right. You would say something like, I, I honestly, the, probably the most person centered way to do it would be like, I can absolutely understand that this is a tough day for you and you've had a lot on your plate. But when you genuinely ask me questions about how I'm doing, I'm practicing showing up authentically to that question. Like that's all I'm doing right now. And genuinely, when you kind of say like, I don't really have time and actually it's extremely hard for me to hear that right? Because it feels as though there's this rejection of my authentic self. That's what it feels like, right? And so do you hear how much movement just occurred, right? We had you, you actually noticing, you actually speaking to that voice, then the person kind of squashing it down, then you validating that voice, okay? You are actually validating. It doesn't feel good. This is why I tell you, tell people it's extremely messy. What just occurred is not going to feel good. And it is so different than what just happened in those 10 years of marriage. It's the, it's, it's the pivot moment of where that person is trying to change, right? And so that's why it is important because it doesn't feel good, but it's the only thing that is going to move you forward, whether or not that person wants to move forward with you. And this is where it's very difficult because the more authentic you show up, the more real you show up, right? the more attempts you're trying to connect with that person in an authentic way, they don't have to show up authentically back. That's the, that is the bitter pill. If your partner does not want to be real and authentic with you or hold space for your authenticity, they really don't have to. And I know that sounds really sad, but it's true. You can't force someone to also show up authentically. And this is why it scares so many people to do this work. Because if you show up authentically and they aren't willing to do the work as well and also bear witness to like who you are and hold space for you and develop a deep sense of like connectedness, if they're not willing to do that, you're literally like most people are going to be terrified of what the hell am I supposed to do with that information? right? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to sit in a marriage or sit in a partnership that literally is stagnant and not honoring my authenticity? And it's like, this is the questions that come up, right? And people get very, very scared to change the familiar. I'll say that again. You get scared to change the familiar. So if it's familiar for your voice to be suppressed for 10 years in your marriage and your you are always met with, I don't have time, I don't have space, I don't have the capacity, whatever it is. And you get that so normal that it's familiar and it's safe. You doing this work feels like a threat. You doing this work is going to feel like a threat to your safety or a threat to your familiarity. And honestly, it is going to be super uncomfortable in the beginning. This is the hardest work I'm telling people. I always tell people, this is like literally the hardest work you're ever going to do. It really is. It's, um, I felt invisible in my marriage and mm. that's where this came from. Right. As soon as I started to speak up for myself, I, that, that idea of honoring your feelings and speaking up is so hard. It's, you're right. Absolutely. It's so hard. It's absolutely Absolutely. Difficult. I love that. I think that's exactly why I know like the majority of people that are probably hearing this are men, but it's like, I think that is the thing that makes me so sad is like, I deal with a lot of people 
that are healing from these like breakups and these like harmful relationships. But the thing is, is like the more people are just authentic with what they Mm. really want. Like, I mean, I know that me and you, Jeff, have had like really good conversations, but like I tell people like you just need to be very honest with how you relate to your own emotional experience, but also like the way your body shows up to those emotions. Right. And so like you do need to honor all of those parts. And that's the thing is that when you are vulnerable and you speak to a partner that isn't willing to be vulnerable, it's hard enough for probably that vulnerability to be present anyways. But then when it's met with like the one time you're vulnerable and it gets met with like, honestly, like what I said, like a gut punch or like that whole, like, you know, sharp jab, like it, it makes you feel like it's unsafe to have these authentic moments. Right. And so what do people choose? A lot of the time they choose, all right, back to the familiar. Let me just go back because it's too hard to, it's too hard. It's too hard to actually show up like vulnerably. Yeah. Um, I'd like to transition over to some questions. Yeah. We've got some audience questions. Cool. So uh, first question, I'm pretty vocal about my romantic feelings towards my partner. I'm worried that she may think I'm love bombing her. Is there a way for me to communicate my feelings without coming across as love bombing? Well, there's a very, this is interesting because I think people hear what love bombing is, which is basically like you are almost like overzealous. Like you, it's usually like, I mean, real, real love bombing is pretty, pretty, I mean, it's pretty extreme. Like it's like people sending people like, you know, on vacations and like different stuff, Mm -hmm. but like, I mean, it can be low key as well. So I don't want it to be, this is a hard nuanced take. And this happens a lot in this type of work is that someone will be just like really, really into their partner and they get like paranoid that like, Hey, I know that like manipulative people do this as well. And like, it's scary. And, and I go, this is the way I usually try to explain it to people. Okay. First of all, try to be authentic, you know, like try to actually be like, if I really am, you know, wanting to talk to my partner, like you can be as authentic as possible while respecting their own pace. Right. So if they're like, I love that you text me, but like, you know, we gotta like, we gotta space this out a little bit. Right. Just remember that you're also dealing with another person. Right. So love bombing can sometimes feel like love bombing if you're not listening to the other partner as well. So if the other person is saying, you know, Hey, like, I'm so glad like you care about me. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little like, I, I, this is just like really fast. You know what I mean? Or like something like that. Right. That doesn't mean they're rejecting you. It's just, it's probably their attempt to say, Hey, it just needs to go a little bit like slower because I need a different pace. Right. Okay. That's important to take into account because if they're not seeing that as like too fast, okay. You know, there's probably not going to be a problem. Also, love bombing is only love bombing if it follows with like manipulation, right? And so usually I try to explain to people if someone's like nervous that it's coming off as love bombing, the only time it's actually going to actually be love bombing is with time, right? And so if your partner, you know, your new partner says, you know, whoa, you're coming on really fast. Well, first of all, remember the other, right? You're going to be like, well, what is your pace? Like, I want to honor your pace as well. So like maybe we can find this like, 
medium of like how I want to communicate my love and you want to communicate your love back, right? So have an open dialogue. That's super important. If you're really concerned about it, you could have an open dialogue. Be like, hey, you know, I want to check in about the pace. Cool. That's a perfect way for it to definitely not be love bombing because the person who's love bombing does not give a crap about pace. They do not care. They do not. They are literally just doing it to lay the groundwork. That is not on their radar. Okay. Then we also have time. So if, for example, you know, you're on month, I don't know, six or something, and you know, you're really feeling like the relationship's moving fast or whatever relationships that move fast aren't always a problem. Like this is why it's hard to think in all or nothings, right? It's not always a problem. There are relationships that are very authentic and open and like super, super um, just like engaged and healthy, right? And they can honestly move in a pretty decent rate because both people are ready and both people are willing and they're able. The issue becomes you know, in love bombing, it's a switch, right? And so there's usually a switch within a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And all of a sudden that I love you, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about you turns into either radio silence or actual vitriol, like treating you like crap or, you know, really depriving people of like any type of attention, right? Okay. So that also is a tell for people. Like if your partner actually is like, whoa, you're coming on strong and you're concerned about that. Time is the actual, like, it's it's the proof, right? It's the, you know, show me the proof. That's the proof because you aren't immediately switching a, a light switch and saying, oh, I'm going to start treating her like crap, right? And so I get that it's nuanced. And I just want you to hear that, you know, the less you think of it as like, oh, my emotions could be, you know, like, it's like, of course they can be misperceived because anything can be misperceived. I can be in a really deep relationship. And if anyone looks at it through a different lens, they could be like, oh, she's being manipulative. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, anyone can spin that tail, but you two are the only ones that know what it actually feels like. Right. And so remember to have that open dialogue with her. <clears throat> that would be really important. And then also like, you know, if she needs reassurance. Like, obviously the time would be a big thing. Okay. Uh, next question. In trying to be self-aware, are there things or actions within ourselves that we can be alert to that we are guilting or gaslighting somebody without meaning to? Maybe something we picked up in a toxic relationship that we don't realize. Okay. Guilting or... Well, typically when we have like old wounds or like old toxic traits that kind of like come out, it if you are self-aware, right? If you really are trying to listen to the way you are talking to people, I will tell people that sometimes this work is like hindsight. Um, I use the term hindsight as foresight. So hindsight, like I could literally look at Jeff and make a really like, you know, maybe I'm really sarcastic and I make a joke at him, right? And I literally say, maybe on this podcast, oh no, you're fine. Like you can take a joke, right? Right. If I'm being self-aware, what what that looks like is, first of all, we're not perfect people. So we are going to say stuff like that. If I have a really sarcastic personality, I might actually say that pretty easily, right? To be self-aware looks like hindsight and foresight. So for example, if I say that and I'm actively working on making sure I'm not trying to do even low-key variations of gaslighting, right? I might say, oh, you know what, Jeff, like, that's not really mine to say. Like I, I, you know, I'm sarcastic. I'm not really, I, you know, I, I can't, uh, I kind of come off like that sometimes. So, you know, 
you might have actually had a reaction that I don't know. So it's not really fair of me to say that, right? Okay, that means that I was able to catch some variation of what came out of my mouth in that moment. That's a pretty pretty high skill set. So most of the time this works like hindsight is foresight. So what I mean by that is after the podcast is over, right? And we wrap up and I'm sitting in my bed later and I'm about to go to sleep. I realize that the way I came off or I listened back to the podcast, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's not something I really want to be. I don't want to continue that behavior, right? I really don't like that, right? So what I do is I use hindsight to inform my further behavior, which is foresight. So I am now informing my future behavior from my past behavior. So now I wake up and I text Jeff and I say, hey, Jeff, really quick, I want to touch touch base with you. Um, Might have not even remembered this from last night, but when we were on the podcast, this happened. And I really don't like the way that came off. So I just wanted you to know, like, and this is where people think we're, we're beating a dead horse. No, you're not. You're taking accountability for how you showed up to that conversation, right? You're not beating a dead horse. He might have actually gotten over it, but it's not about him getting over it. It's about you honestly bringing to awareness the way you show up to situations. That's all it is, right? And so, yes, of course, Jeff might have not thought about it the second I said it, right? But when you're catching these behaviors, you're bringing it to light, okay? So when you're saying like, how do I be more self-aware? First of all, it's kind of that hindsight work in the beginning is let's say you start hanging out with a buddy or you're, you know, hanging out with your partner or your relation, your current relationship, right? And you say something that you're like, "Mm, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm thinking about it. I realized that that came off like really, really possessive or that was a little bit of like, that might've been like an old wound. Like I think I was coming off really jealous or something, right? You sit there, hindsight is foresight is saying, you know, you've wrapped up the night. You're thinking about like a couple of things that were said during that conversation and you just hold yourself to awareness. That's it. So you're saying, "Mm, yeah, I realized when I said that I probably came off very jealous, right? And you're like, am I actually jealous? That's actually a part of it. You're going to ask yourself those questions. Am I actually jealous? Is that true? And remember, we're not demonizing, like I, I, even from what I said before, jealousy is an emotion. Okay. When it's present in a relationship, we're not going to like, you know, we're not going to say, Ooh, that's cute. But it is actually important for you to personally take that emotion seriously and not, it's just like anger. We're not going to demonize anger. We're not going to demonize envy. We're not going to demonize jealousy. We're actually going to pay attention to it more because it does show up pretty strong in our life. So if jealousy comes up a lot, we're just going to take that more seriously. We're not going to, you know, oh, shame and like flagellate and like literally say, oh my God, I'm so bad. And like, you know, whipping yourself or something. No, you are literally saying that's important for me to pay attention to. That's important for me to hold space for. Right. And so actually it's so important that it shows up subconsciously in my conversations. I actually said something jealous, like with a jealous like tone or whatever. And I didn't even realize it until later. Right. Mm. That's exactly what was happening with Jeff. If I have this sarcastic tone and I kind of low key gaslight people because I think that's normal or I think that's acceptable. Right. If I do that so often that it becomes subconscious. Now I'm working to make that more conscious. I'm working on making that more aware. Right. 
if it's going to the low-key non-awareness, I'm working to bring that up into the consciousness, right? And so that's all we're saying is you're really paying attention to how you're showing up to relational situations, right? And so, you know, to the question, you know, am I am I guilting people into things or am I gaslighting or, you know, am I, show, am I doing anything low-key? Well, this is about self-honesty as much as it's authenticity because to do this work is to be radically honest with yourself. And radically honest with yourself means you have to swallow some of that pride. You have to swallow some of that like, and I don't mean like repress it. I mean like actually hold on to it for more than a second. Like literally have that into your experience and say something like, okay, I got really angry. Instead of being like, they pissed me off, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. They probably did piss you off. But if you reacted to that anger at like an eight and you realize that honestly, you can be a little bit pissed off when somebody cuts you off. But if you're an eight and you're literally rage driving now, um, we need to pay attention to that, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what we mean by like the awareness of how we're showing up to situations, right? Because I could easily like spin that and say, oh no, the reason I got so angry was because there was a jerk who cut me off and he literally deserves everything that came to him. And, you know, I was tailgating him and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, okay, truly people are not great to us at all times. There are going to be people that cut you off. There are going to be people that like honestly treat you pretty badly. Right. But it's your responsibility to hold on to how you show up to those dynamics. Right. And so you are allowed to be angry. Right. You are allowed to have these strong emotions. It's that when you feel like it's basically taking control over you, that's where some of these things show up. Like when you're like, oh yeah, like you don't pay attention to the jealousy. You don't pay attention to the envy. Well, what ends up happening is it becomes so strong that it either goes subconscious or it gets so strong that you actually think that's your personality. I can't tell you how many people I have worked with, Jeff, that literally tell me their personality is basically an emotional state. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I'm just an angry person. Oh, I'm just jealous like this all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not even possible. Mm. Nobody wants to hear that, but like, it's not even possible. It just means that you have been in that state for so long that your brain has normalized the shit out of it and said, oh, this is just how Jamie is. Well, the more you actually unlearn that that's actually just a very, very high emotional state that you have in your body that you really haven't really attended to, it's just like what I was saying before. The first step is to notice that that is there and to actually externalize that literally say, okay, I am not jealous. Jealousy is happening to me right now and I need to pay attention to it. Right. And I actually need to hold it. I need to understand why I'm getting so upset about this. Right. Okay. That is what the work looks like. It does not look like, yeah, this is just like how I am. Like, I'm just super sarcastic and like, yeah, I make fun of people and like, yeah, I'm really jealous. It's like, no, you're not that person. You have just normalized that that's just how you're interacting with people, right? And when you're normalizing that, you basically have the perfect excuse to never attend to it. I want you to hear that again. If I normalize something, it's the perfect excuse to not attend to that dynamic, okay? So a perfect excuse is to just say, I'm just anxious. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just that kind of guy. I'm just that kind of person. No, because 
obviously, if you're living in this state of perpetual dissonance or you're really feeling upset about like really heightened emotions, okay, that emotion is like got you in a chokehold. That emotion has like, if we're talking about manipulation, that's the thing that's manipulating the situation the most is the emotional state that hasn't been attended to, right? And so most of the time when I'm working with people, they're telling me, I feel like emotions happen to me. Like I literally feel assaulted by the emotion, right? What what they're trying to tell me is they feel like their emotions are like out of control. Like literally like their emotional state is out of control. And then the emotion is the thing that like sucks over them. They're like, oh my God, like this is the only thing you can be, right? Well, that is an indic- that's indicative of someone who hasn't been processing emotions, right? So if you tell yourself, I'm just angry, this is just who I am. It's not being processed. It's being normalized. Hmm. You're not hmm. understanding the anger. You're normalizing the anger. There, so much of that I, I, can, <laughs> I can see in myself. I'm like, oh, God, I'm learning a lot. Uh, and we have more questions, but um, we are out of time, unfortunately. Oh, no. So I'm, yeah, so I'm unfortunately not going to be able to get to them, <laughs> but I would love to have you back. I love um, to come back. Yeah. Because, if anyone has, I mean, you guys can find me in other places. So if you guys have questions. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> while on that topic, how do we find you? Um, you can find me on most socials. So I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Recollected Self. Hopefully there'll be like a tag somewhere in this mm-hmm. so you can see it. Um, and I also, I'll just like speak to this. I actually am starting a course tomorrow that does have a couple of spaces left. So if anyone's really interested in this work and working one-on-one kind of interactively with me, um, I'm kicking that off tomorrow. It's not the biggest deal if it's like late, but I'm kicking that off tomorrow to kind of start the, start the cohort. So if anyone really wants to, well, you know, you can check that out on my Instagram. It's like linked to that. Um, and then the other way you can find me, and this is the big announcement because I think Jeff has been waiting for this is I'm finally starting my own podcast. So some of these little nuggets you'll be able to hear kind of, um, in the realm of just basically anywhere you're going to listen to podcasts. So that one is called unlearned and I have it primarily hosted with like my best friend. So me and her are going to be hosting that and it'll be really fun. It's kind of all this stuff. Yeah, that's all, that's a lot it's of la- good stuff. Well, it's launching next week, so whoever and eventually maybe I'll send you over the link so if people want to look at it later. But yeah, okay, yeah, we'll have all the links in the in the show notes, um, yeah. so we can people can find this after the fact and after listening to this. So, yeah, Jamie, this is awesome. I I feel like I couldn't write notes fast enough. So there's so much. Oh my god, I feel us. so bad. You're ready. To- <laughs> no, no, no. It, there's so much to learn. So I, I appreciate you being oh with gosh. us. Okay. <laughs> Yes, I appreciate all of you. Thank you all for listening and being here and participating with your questions. All right. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Bye, guys.